0: I was dealing here with the E Well podcast, and I'm, I just dropped in on uh, my friend Travis Bader, who's with uh, Silver uh, And maybe Travis, you could introduce uh, yourself and what Silver Core is all about. Yeah, well, I'm uh, the owner of Silver Silvercore has been around
1: since uh, 2003 as its current incorporated body, and about 90 late 90s, uh, Silver Core Gunworks, so doing uh, firearms repair and maintenance for the general public and. Uh, government agencies private security and uh, now we primarily focus on the training side of things but uh, uh, let's
0: talk about uh, let's talk about gun cleaning yeah totally so I uh, so what's so 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 both uh Travis and I, are, we, between Ewell does hunter education primarily. Uh, with a, with the, some, we do some uh, firearm safety courses and shooting instruction, and um, primarily geared towards new hunters. Um, and then Silver Core, you guys are kind of the established folks who who do firearms training in BC. I would say you're probably the largest. Yeah,
1: largest we've, group. we've been doing area. it for a fair bit of time. We've uh, trained uh, most of the. Um, uh, well, a large majority of the instructors that are teaching, in uh, at least in the Lower Mainland, we do um, training throughout Canada. But we are we're based in Lower Mainland, BC. That's where the majority of our work is. But uh, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, we do uh, traveling around for a few uh, corporate engagements.
0: Cool. So, so Travis is trying is starting to figure out how to make videos, and and uh, so we got together a couple weeks ago, thinking we would make a video on. Uh, uh, well, I, I thought it'd be fun to talk about or do a video on like basic gun maintenance because it's something that's a bit of a mystery to me. And, and with Travis's background as a gunsmith and, and of course, in in, in a very firearms focused industry, um, I thought it was something we could chat about. So we we got together. We spent a couple hours like with multiple cameras and mic pickups and like. And then we well, tried it was a good time it was, was a good, a good time. time, yeah, it was a good hangout <laughs> the uh, post production on that one
1: though, however, yeah there 's a little bit of a learning curve, yeah. and <laughs> we did find something out about ourselves yeah. uh, <laughs> as photogenic as Dylan is. Um, we are both very uh, prolific speakers, and so uh, we're regrouping now. We're going to yeah. try this again. <laughs> yes, try this again, not in front of the camera, and uh, <laughs> just using the, uh, using the audio to our
0: advantage. Well, because I, I think with video, like they say, like two and a half to three minutes is about all you have people's attention for. So when we, when we ran over about an hour and a half of video content yes. and try, talking about maintenance, yes. we figured we should probably switch our format. So, so we made a commitment to come back out here and, 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 and talk about, have our conversations. I think, I think our conversation was really valuable, and I think it's going to lend a lot to people who, are, well, certainly for me it was valuable as, a, as an experienced hunter with with respect to how do I best maintain my my firearm when with, while I'm in the field, um, when I get home, how do I store it over the season? Like, um, so there's some questions that I had for you, and I enjoyed our conversation. So hopefully we can capture it here, and it makes sense. So, anyway, that's what this podcast is about is a little bit. I think we want to talk about two things, which is uh, you know gun gun care in the field, gun care at home, and maintenance. And the other one, if we have time, is like I kind of want to talk about like. You know, expectations of how to handle your firearm while you're in the field, like when you're hunting. So it's something that like, you know, i think it's important like you know how I, I just reflected on how i like store my firearm from when i uh it's in the back of my truck to when it's on my shoulder hunting to when it's in the tent and maybe we just talk about some safety stuff around what what was a reasonable expectation of safety when you're actually out in the woods um on a hunt so we'll probably hit on those two things in this conversation we'll see how long it takes us um we've got saint patrick's day so we're we've got a beer in front of us and well you can't not it is saint patrick's day yeah <laughs> thanks for having me out at your shop here. This is a great space and uh, super super pro. And uh, we've, we're doing our best to use the Eat Wild podcast equipment. We've got a recent addition to the tool. I just found out from my pod, from my editor uh, friend, sound engineer friend, is that uh, you're supposed to be wearing earmuffs when you uh, or or uh, uh, when you when you're doing podcasting so you can hear all of the sound that gets picked up on the mic so forgive me for the past 16 episodes i'm not actually listening to what i was recording but now i've got these fancy new uh earmuffs that uh well oh, they look sharp they look good eh? yeah yeah, they yeah. Do. so i'm feeling good about the setup so we'll see how this goes and hopefully it works out um so travis um with respect to so when i'm out hunting there's i i'm you know i've got a I happen to have, I all my firearms are pretty much stainless steel that I use in the field, but right. I do have a, actually, no, I've got one little, um, an old, uh, Steyer man liquor that, sure. that I, that I stumbled across, uh, in a seven millimeter or eight caliber that I, that I started using for as a deer gun, which I really like the caliber. Yeah. And, uh, and it's it's a blued gun with a wood stock. And I, I feel like I kind of have to baby it a little bit more than my stainless steel guns when I'm out and about, um, mainly because it's probably older than me. Um, sure, sure. We've <laughs> all got guns like that, yeah. Yeah, pleasant little gun, but totally impractical with, with respect <laughs> to uh, the, the stainless steel guns. But uh, anyways, what I'm curious about, so when I'm, when I'm out hunting uh, and I'm dealing with the conditions of, like, snow, rain, you know, hot and cold temperatures... Uh, if I'm out for the day. What's what's a reasonable expectation of when I come back after a day's hunt? If I'm going back into the wall tent or going back to, to a cabin, what should I do to maintain that gun to keep it in good good form before I head back out the next day of hunting?
1: Yeah, well, you you brought up an interesting point too. You're talking about uh, carbon steel versus stainless steel, and there is this misconception in the uh, uh, particularly among new firearms owners that stainless means zero maintenance, and stainless is simply means it will stain. Less not that it will not oxidize at all, but uh, it gives you a little bit more of a window, uh, but regardless of the firearm you have, uh, proper maintenance and care will ensure the lifetime of its uh, it'll last your lifetime if you care for it properly um, but hunting hunting introduces as you say we're, we're in the environments where uh, we could be in an arid uh, dry environment. Um, uh, lots of dust, dust getting into the action, working parts like, uh, grit or sandpaper. You could be out water fouling and salt spray and, uh, sleet and water is going to be something we want to address right away on, on the, uh, the firearm. Or maybe it's perfect conditions. You go out for your hunt and you come back and you really don't have to do a heck of a lot to it. But, uh, I'll, I, I guess essentially it would, would come down to, uh, what did your firearm experience while you were out?
0: Okay, so, so we'll go, because that's interesting, because I, I, I was just thinking of, uh, when I come back from duck hunting, like, uh, I, we're, we hunt here in, uh, we're in the, the Fraser Valley, we're at Ladner, and actually, and I, we're, we're both, uh, uh, Travis and I hunt just out here in the salt marsh, and you're basically you're in salt water, and yeah. so your gun is going to be saturated with salt water. So when I get back from hunt, I actually just take my eight seven and take it apart and throw it in the shower with me, <laughs> so, <laughs> just to give it a complete rinse. I, I mean, love it. Is that is that
1: an appropriate way of maintaining your your? Yeah, provided your aftercare on that is uh, going to be immediate. So we want if you get hot soapy water on a um, on bare carbon steel, uh, it will degrease it pretty quickly. Okay, uh, and, and you'll actually notice rust form almost instantaneously. So when uh, I used to do a fair bit of bluing and parkerizing on firearms, and I'd be blast a firearm, I'd use hot soapy water just to get all of the compound off and uh, the abrasive, and between taking it from there and getting it into, let's say, the parkerizing tanks, you could already see a little bit of rust forming on it. So it's something that people just have to keep in mind. Hot, soapy water, not a problem at all, but you're going to want to use some sort of a um, water-displacing oil on it quickly and uh, just not let it sit afterwards. Uh, To get rid of that salt water, yeah, definitely hot, soapy water. And, in fact, uh, anyone who shoots um, black powder and is using... um, anything with nitrates like potassium nitrate charcoal sulfur is what most typical black powders are made out of uh, they're encouraged to use hot soapy water to flush up or out but we just got to make sure we get some uh, water displacing and some oil in there quickly
0: okay so after i after i have my shower with my gun uh, i dry <laughs> it off actually uh, what i do is i just i got my like a like a Vent heater in my house So I yeah. just actually like sit it right on top of the vent So it just dries the, dries the thing out Right away Sure. And then I hit it with a spray can of WD-40 And then put it all back together You know what, there's a lot of people
1: out there that tell you Stay away from WD-40, don't use WD-40 there's, It doesn't belong around firearms But uh, honestly It's primary purpose is to Displace water And the uh, function that you're referring to it on That's perfect I mean, if you dump your gun in the uh, in the water, and you take it out, and you want to spray it down with some WD forty. Great, um, but it's not going to be the uh, gun lubricant that you want to be uh, finishing with. It's not going to have a nitro solvent in there that's going to uh, uh, help get rid of that carbon buildup. Um, but yeah, I mean, many a. Uh, uh, duck hunter, bird, wing hunter, uh, carries WD-40 with them just for that specific reason. And I use it prolifically for uh, in bird hunting. Okay, cool. So I'm on track there. That's no, like... you're
0: totally on track. <laughs> you're, you're on track there. So another question I had. So... so... I have, um, you mentioned like dust and sand and I remember we did a rafting trip a couple years ago when we, we drifted down a, a river, we flew into the Northern Rockies and then drifted back out to fun. the highway. It w- well, it was fun. It was actually yeah, yeah, a yeah. bit of a, you know, you ever, you have these like concepts in your mind of like a, this like miracle hunt where you're going to uh-huh. be drifting through undisturbed elk country for like, you know, days and days and, uh yeah we saw like two elk i think on the whole trip one of which one one elk was being chased by a pack of wolves through our camp and <laughs> the other the other elk i see on the first day and it was uh it was a bull elk we beagled him up and he came in on us and but it was like 27 degrees up. so it was like yeah. you just there's no way you could shoot it because yeah. if you shot him it would have you'd have the meat in the in the boat and it would melt by yeah the time yeah got exactly to the, to the highway you're still a couple of days away three days for sure and yeah we didn't see a lot of elk it was a bit of a bust, but. But what it was was uh, beautiful, sunny, lots of laying around on these, like, sandbars while well, we were camp midday waiting for, you know, sure, nothing sure. to happen. And um, But I did notice, like, all of our optics, like, were just covered in that silty sand. Yes. And I can only imagine, like, our our both actions were covered in that silty sand. And I was afraid to use any kind of oil on it because I didn't want it to, like... That'll attract more. Yeah, I attract more, sure. more war assault. So I was like, so the only thing that you could really do is like dunk your whole firearm in the river to wash away sure. some of it. And it was so warm out that you could, you know. But I, 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 in those conditions, what's the best way to kind of clean a rifle that's been exposed to that fine particulate? So water,
1: like you're saying, yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, take it apart. Now, taking a firearm apart is um, going to be different for different people, right? People that are mechanically sound and they've got a background in taking intricate mechanisms apart will have no problem with it. Uh, some people, that's where they start introducing more problems to their firearm because they get a little bit too... Um, Judicious with a screwdriver or uh, tapping pins out uh, with a bit more force than perhaps they should. Um, So the manufacturers of any any of these firearms are going to have their recommended cleaning practice and they're always going to say, number one, make sure the firearm's not loaded. Number two, uh, use authorized cleaning equipment. Now, if you're out in the field and in situations like you're experiencing there, it's uh, you're not always going to have a full workbench in front of you and all your special screwdrivers and punches and uh, but. If you start dunking that thing in water, uh, you're going to want to uh, take it apart enough just to get any areas where water is going to be settling and and holding in there. uh, You you don't want things rusting and oxidizing on you. Uh, For the salt, or sorry, the sand you're saying, um, camera stores. Uh, Your local uh, camera stores, spells, spells, sells. specialized uh, utensils for cleaning lenses, and that'll work very well on your uh, your scope lenses as well. Uh, one thing that I use on all of my firearms is uh, scope covers. So I find the simple Butler Creek or Tenebrex uh, flip cap scope covers to be... Um, uh, a good investment to keep all of that uh, debris off of my lenses, and I very rarely have to uh, clean my lenses. Sand, as it starts getting into the action, um, minor dust and debris, I'd leave it, fix it, and clean it up when I go home. If you get some major sand and grit going on inside the, uh, the fire, I'm getting into uh, uh, areas of um, mechanical operation. Um... For your your bolt action you're talking about, they're removing the bolt and uh, using a rag to wipe it down will be sufficient now when you 're hunting i 've seen some of your videos there. You typically use tape or a barrel cot when you 're uh, out hunting.
0: It looks like anyways guy okay, yeah yeah, like yeah, well, yeah that 's a great point is that you know, there 's a, there's a couple of ways for stuff to get into your rifle, one is through the breech like right. where, where the bolt is right. uh, and if you have the bolt open for like, that 's probably a good tip is like, uh, you know, as much as I think it 's a safe practice to leave your bolt open. Um, when when you're around other people so that you can see that the gun is safe and, and not loaded. Um, however, when it's, when, the, when the rifles rolling around in the boat or the back of the truck, I mean, it's unloaded, but I always have the bolt closed right. to keep the breech closed so that debris and stuff doesn't get in there. So I, I typically, if I'm, if I'm traveling with the gun and not hunting, I've got that breech closed or the, the bolt down, safety's on to keep it from popping open accidentally, right. no bullets in the gun, um, so the, to limit that point of access, the other place, of course, the stuff can get in is through the muzzle, yeah, at the sort of the tip of the barrel, and and we use, um, well, I use uh, just a little piece of black tape over the top, and yeah, and
1: you're not going to find that affects your shot when you're hunting. No. Like you probably haven't noticed any issue with it. I know
0: I haven't noticed an issue with it. No, I have never, I've never noticed an issue with it, and uh, yeah, so so that and of course that would keep debris from working its way down the barrel as you're walking around or um, if you bump into a tree. Like I've had. I've had situations where I've like been working my way through a forest, crawling through the forest, and the the, the muzzle of my gun bumps it up against the bark of a tree and plugs the the end of the uh, the muzzle with bark. Right. Yeah. And and then I'm like, oh, and you look at that. Of course, you know, what do you? So tell me what you did in that. <laughs> uh, how did you fix that one? <laughs> so it's, so that's a quick question. Um. So so first of all, let's talk. What would happen? If you shot it with the barrel plugged with bark. Okay,
1: uh, just and, and we touched on a really good point here, and we'll, I'll talk about the bark one. But I think I, I guess essentially, uh, before we talk about any of the cleaning, the preventative measures far outweigh the uh, the need for emergency measures later on. So, like in your videos and how you hunt, you protect. I think you use a uh, what they call a bikini scope cover on yeah. yours. Yeah. Excellent, right? I use the flip cap covers. It's what I'm comfortable with. Uh, you you tape the end of the barrel. I do the exact same thing. So, taking those measures for any of the listeners out there, uh, before going out and looking at all these fancy things that we can use to uh, uh, clear obstructions in our uh, in our firearm, uh, a couple of dollars, or I mean, the tape is cheap. Um, for preventative measures, definitely outweighs what do they say? An ounce, a ounce of, prevention. of prevention is a yeah, yeah, exactly a pound of yeah, something or other. A pound of gear, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you got bark, you got bark. Now, did that happen through the tape, or was no, it no, no, tape no on just, this, this would
0: have been when I didn't have it taped up. So, so yeah, so I and uh, and, and so the first, I mean, so when you, when you when you think this problem through, of course, you go, oh, there's something stuck in there, and the first thing that comes to mind is like. You Shoot it out. Oh, no. <laughs> no, Actually, no. Uh, yeah, that, okay, what would happen if you shot it out? Uh,
1: well, it depends. depends how bad that obstruction was. Let's uh, say it's real bad. Okay. Well, I, I think we've got a picture probably on your uh, Facebook page somewhere of what a, a bad obstruction looks like in a uh, barrel. <laughs> I think there is some, uh, maybe one of your students. I'm not sure what it was. No, uh, it wasn't one of their students. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a bad obstruction, uh, you definitely don't want to be shooting that out. In fact, any obstruction... Uh, You don't want to be shooting it out. Uh, People ask about the tape on the front. Is that an obstruction? Well, as the pressure builds up, it will blow that tape out the majority of the time. You won't even find a hole in it.
0: Um, So that's the air pressure that develops between where the bullet's in the chamber. As soon as it it starts to move forward, it compresses... The air right, yeah. in what's in that barrel, uh, that air has to go somewhere, and it'll it will relatively easily blow the tape off. It will. But if there's something jammed in there, so if you've got a
1: uh, bore obstruction in there, you're going to want to use a cleaning rod and push that out. Yeah. And you're going to want to be uh, pushing it, preferably from the breech end out the muzzle. Uh, now, when you're hunting, carrying around a full piece cleaning rod and a full piece. Proper professional cleaning rod is by far the preferred way to uh, uh, clear an obstruction, but you're not going to have that in your pack. Uh, they do sell the uh, the takedown into different pieces cleaning rods, and um, uh, they can help to get an obstruction out. Uh, using a a rod that's designed for the bore diameter will make your life a lot easier. So if you're using a 22 caliber uh, cleaning rod. And you're shooting a, um, a 30 caliber projectile. So the 20 is obviously going to smaller, be 0.22, yeah. two, so it's smaller. Um, what you can sometimes find is the, um, uh, the rod will press into the center of the obstruction and start wedging it to the sides. Of course. Making it harder and harder to get it out. So the closer you can get to the actual bore diameter for your cleaning rod, uh, it, it makes sense to invest some money and actually have something that works with your firearm. So screw it together from the breech end, tap it out as best as possible. If you find yourself really having a hammer on this thing, uh, stop and reassess yeah. because uh, you might just be compounding your issue by, um, by packing
0: it in tighter and tighter. So I got like three or four stories that are coming to mind of idiotic (laughs) idiotic things that have happened. So, so where I was trying to get you to tell me what was gonna like. So what basically happens if you have an obstruction in the end and you pull the trigger, the if that obstruction isn't clear on its own, it like the tape blowing off, the, the barrel of the gun will actually bulge. Yes, it can bulge. It can bulge. And it could
1: look like, you know, Elmer Fudd's gun that, like, blow. It we, have one up, we have one upstairs that a uh, local firefighter, not going to mention his name, has uh, donated to us as a uh, training tool. That, uh, he thought, uh, as best as a story that was relayed to me anyways, uh, after dumping the muzzle of his shotgun into the muck. Oh, well, let's just shoot it out. And then just like Daffy Duck sticking his finger in Elmer Fudd's barrel, the whole thing been open, and yeah. uh, it's a, a pretty spectacular-looking uh, demonstration. Uh, we also have a... Just to
0: clear, it's actually, it, was, it was, it's Bugs
1: Bunny with the carrot. In the barrel. Right, not Daffy Duck no. with his finger? No, no. It's, okay, it's, it's a totally carrot. different, it's, it's a episode. different it's a, yeah, <laughs> That's right. Now, yeah, yeah the, the carrot is definitely the, uh, the number one obstruction that you're going to find in uh, firearms at most. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but shotguns, thin wall, uh, lots of um, like low pressure from the, uh, from the round, you're going to have that uh, thin walled barrel blow out more often than just a a simple bulge. Uh, Rifle barrels, uh, depending on uh, the caliber, uh, you could have a bulge, you could have a a catastrophic failure. Uh, We've got a, um, a barrel upstairs from a Thompson submachine gun, and they had a squib load, so there was no powder in the cartridge. We had bullet powder, primer, and case. This had bullet, primer, case, with no powder in there. The primer had enough force to force
0: that projectile. So About there's enough gunpowder in the primer to actually, to actually create enough pressure in the chamber to force the bullet down the barrel? Right. There's enough
1: explosive compound in that primer, and the projectile went some ways down the barrel and stopped. And it was being shot in full auto. And... They folded it up with, I think it was 17 other projectiles in there. Didn't blow up, right? Pistol caliber, but uh, it looks like the snake that ate an egg, it just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and so we've got it uh, sectioned in half just to show what that looks like. Um, i got the safe behind me here. We've got a... uh, probably a couple of dozen barrels inside there pistol barrels that uh, have got uh, that we've had to replace over the years for uh, other customers uh, and they've got bulges in them from a from an obstruction uh, will that affect your accuracy on the firearm probably not unless that bulge is going to be at the muzzle end uh from a departmental standpoint because these are um, duty firearms sure, uh sure. do you want it a factory standard definitely you do
0: so they need to be replaced so that stire that i bought i i came across it at a at a gun store that just opened up on the sunshine coast and it it was a pretty good deal it was like 700 bucks for a stire with like a, a pretty good scope on it too and, and good mounts and nice. uh and I saw it, and it was just so pretty, and I was like, oh, I'm buying that thing. Yeah. And I've been looking for a 708, and I've been shooting a .30-06 up till then, and it's just too, it was a light gun, and it's a bit too much recoil for me. I'm not a great, not very comfortable shooting. Um, so this is, it was someone, so one of my hunting partners said, yeah, you should look at that 708 caliber. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's a beautiful gun, and it's 708. bought it. And then I took it to my gunsmith buddy on the Sunshine Coast, and he looked at it right away, and he says, oh, there's bulge in that barrel. Right. He says, yeah, that's why he got it so cheap. And, uh so so he says, but you know what, maybe you know, it looks fine. I mean, looking down, the barrel looks fine. It just has bulged a bit, but it might be fine. We'll see. So we go shoot it. And I shot, it shoots fine. I mean, it shoots better than I can shoot. So
1: You're going to find the majority of the time it'll still shoot just fine. And, in fact, most factory barrels aren't entirely concentric, and they're not entirely concentric and they are not entirely uh, concentric to the bore, concentric to the outside of the barrel, nor uh, you're gonna sometimes find that they have, uh, wider arrow areas and narrow areas on the, in the barrel. Of course, a bulge could be a bit more of an extreme wider area. Uh, if you feel on the outside of the barrel and you can feel it bulged, okay, we know it's getting a little bit bigger, but most, more often than not, you're gonna see a bulge by looking down the barrel and what you want to do is you start at one end so let's say you're looking down the unloaded firearm muzzle end and you just start kind of and of course we're on audio here and people can't see my hand gestures
0: <laughs> no, but you, yeah.
1: uh, you, you kind of move it around in a bit of a circular fashion and you just start looking uh, section by section down the barrel and all of a sudden if you see a ring like a prominent ring and you're, what you're trying to do is you kind of move it around in a oh, circular yeah, fashion get that. you get, get the light to kind of shine around as you go through uh, and you always look down a barrel from both ends right? You, if, if you're examining the bore you don't just start at one end and say hey I'm done right? you go from the other side and then you look backwards as well um, but you'll see a ring inside there yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen a number of guns number of rifles, rings inside there same with pistols and unless that ring is right near the muzzle end which I've, I'm trying to think of a time when I've seen one right at the muzzle end um, I can't see it making a huge impact on accuracy and in fact the ones that we've test fired uh there have been no noticeable difference on accuracy
0: so this is a great example of how we were not able to do a video in two and a half minutes on, on, on oh, exactly yeah so <laughs> clearly going off on a tangent but, but I, we're getting there we've got bore. we've got an obstructed bore okay. much at the this, and this is something that the so, so i want to go back to the actual field example and like the thought process is going to go through your head so it's a great story from one of my hunting partners jeff he's talking about he's, in, he's hunting blacktails on Vancouver Island it's a great and he snuck up over the hill and there's a great big uh, four point standing up in his bed and looking at him and he goes to take his rifle off his shoulder and he nicks the branch above him and a big gob of snow just like lands okay. on top of his rifle and down his barrel okay. and so he's looking at this deer that and he's like looks at the end of his barrel and he knows there's enough snow that he has to clear the obstruction okay. before he can shoot but what's the first thing that goes to your head when you're Thinking the easiest way to clear the bore would be to use suction. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. So he says he said it was crazy because the thought went through his head like, well, if I just sucked out the snow, oh, no. this would be no big deal. Then he's like, that would be the dumbest thing ever, like just to be found on the hillside, you know? Like, so it is. Just, it is something that'll cross your mind to, to suck the obstruction out and. Obviously, you could never... So I can honestly never. say
1: that it's never crossed my mind to suck an obstruction out. <laughs> but, uh, but I guess in the heat of the moment... And, uh, you. It may cross your you mind. you want to make that shot, um, yeah. I haven't well, been in that particular
0: situation. And the, and the other... Even in investigating that obstruction, the first thing you need to do is unload the firearm absolutely and and so you know so and I, and I, I
1: think for the purpose of this podcast we should assume that the people that we're talking to uh understand your jeff cooper's vital four the assume all firearms are loaded treat them as such right that's the number one rule. Or in canada a you know, assume all firearms are loaded right yeah um so when we're talking about different things here we're making sure the firearms Unloaded, obviously clear, and all ammo out. Uh, and the only obstruction that we're kind of dealing with so far is going to be some sort of a
0: uh, foreign object or debris. Foreign object, debris, snow, any of those things. Anyways, my, my point of bringing that story up is, it, is that you, you, yeah, you might be short-circuited by... The opportunity uh, of an animal, and you want to, and you want to go around the really obvious thing, which is to never point the firearm at, at yourself, right? <laughs> <Brain. laughs> For any any reason, right? Um, but nonetheless, uh, if you are going to clear an obstruction, I, I, you know, obviously clear clear the that the firearm of all ammunition, and then I prefer to look through firearms. Right? If I'm going to look at an obstruction, I always look at it from the the breach forward, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I I like I have.
1: I can appreciate uh, I that. I don't.
0: I don't look at firearms down the barrel from the top for my own personal reasons because it's something that my own history, yep. um, and uh, it's something that's. Yeah. So I think that for me in that situation, if if uh, I would, if I had something obstructed, I'd have to go back to camp and get my cleaning rod and and clear it out.
1: And so. if that means passing up on the shot, and uh, uh, then you pass up on the shot, yeah. Um, so uh, cleaning the firearm, we've talked about preventative maintenance, uh, obstructions, now we've got foreign objects or debris uh, that could be in there, either uh, freezing rain has accumulated because we haven't uh, put a protection, some sort of a barrel cot or tape, electrician's tape on the uh, the muzzle end or uh, the bark or snow or, or what have you. Um, there are times when people have come into the shop and they've had uh, more serious problems with the firearms. So um, there's either a, uh, a round that's actually chambered in the cartridge and they can't get it out. Okay. It's, a, uh, it's stuck inside the chamber. Or a projectile is halfway down the bore and they can't get it out. Um, so that sort of thing, you'd, you'd want to take it to a gunsmith. Uh, you would want to follow proper safety practices, but like, what do you do? You've got, a, you've got a gun now, and it's essentially loaded with a round in there. You just can't get out. Uh, we know it's not lawful for you to transport a firearm
0: loaded. Oh, yeah, I never thought about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, all of a sudden, all these different gray areas, and what if things start, start coming into play? And uh, they say, well, who... I've heard some people say, well, you just use a cleaning rod and you just go for the muzzle end and start hammering it down. And I'm sure. I guess there's going to be some instances when that's uh, useful. Some people have actually said, "Well, hold on, you can ignite that primer from both ends, and if you start packing it down, you you could ignite it." Um, I'm somewhat suspect on that, just by the way the uh, a primer is actually uh, constructed, and it needs to be able to
0: uh, strike on the anvil inside the primer. God, um, just the thought of pounding on a bullet period. Yeah. It just doesn't register with me. Like no, pressing that gunpowder, compressing it, it just doesn't doesn't. Seemed like a good idea to me. Yeah, no, it can make things uh, difficult. What are the other things we've seen? Uh,
1: case head separations. So they've, uh, they fired, uh, usually it happens in reloaded ammunition and it's okay. been reloaded a few times and. Uh, they fired. They go to extract, mm-hmm. and the head of the case comes off, and they're just stuck with this brass uh, case inside oh, the so chamber. Oh, and gunpowder all probably leaks out in that process, or all well, if they've already fired it, and, it, and the the okay. force of the explosion forces a projectile uh. down the bore, and it also causes the the head of the case to separate. Uh, those can sometimes be uh, rather tricky to get out if you don't know how to do it properly. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, and we can we can talk about that as well, but it might go past what uh yeah
0: the, yeah, well, I think we should reel it back to um talking about um, like that that realistic or more than uh, like the common uh, maintenance that would be required over the course of a hunt. So, so we've talked a little bit about. I like like you brought up just keeping your your optics clean by covering them up. That's right. number one. And and just to, to, if you do find yourself with any kind of debris on your optics, um, you know one thing that I what I do is I. I have a, a little brush, like the lens pen, right, which which you can just brush off any debris lightly with a brush. And you got that from a camera store? Or it came with your uh, your optics. Uh, I I started buying them years ago from camera stores, but now I see them on, on all the hunting stores. They, right, this seems to be a common thing. So um, it gives you a little brush, and you can brush off the the debris from the the lens. Because what you really want to avoid doing, like I what I know will happen, is if you got binoculars or scope, and you get up on that opportunity where a deer presents itself and you go raise your scope and all of a sudden it's fogged up or there's debris in it or it's plugged full of snow for whatever reason. Right. Like that. The first thing you're going to do is dig in there with your greasy finger sure. and wipe all the stuff off as best you can. And sure. then look through it again. And they're like, Oh shoot. It's still fogged up enough. And then you can reach in and grab your t-shirt or a bit of your polypropylene and, and try to like rub it down. Uh, and that's also going to like, but one of a couple things is going to happen. You're just going to spread the dirt or the moisture around if you're using polypropylene. Um, cotton will absorb things a little bit and try to draw some moisture away from the scope. But what you really the real screw up that can happen is uh, if you have any if there's any debris or sand, you're just going to grind that sand into your optics, and that's really right. I'll tell you. So you same, them. same as using an air compressor to
1: uh, blow all the uh, dirt and dust off your firearm uh well, that's how sandblasters work now if you're com- oh. if you're sure it's completely clean let's say your shower gun yeah. and you want to use a air compressor on that afterwards great but if it's uh, covered in sand you want to start air compressing uh, you you could be sending those projectiles small little projectiles oh. at a high speed and ruining finish ruining optics uh just something to keep in mind
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense um so one of the tricks that I do for, for for maintaining my optics, for one, is like keeping my optics covered as much as I can. And, and now when I'm whitetail hunting, like I know that the time between when I see a whitetail to when I have to make a decision to shoot is pretty small. So even those pop-up caps, they make a bit of noise. Uh, they take an extra step. So right. if it's a nice, clear day and I'm not too worried about it, I'll, I'll hunt with my I'll take my scope caps off, and I'll just hunt with my, my scope ready to go. So if I see an animal, it's just one less step to, to taking a shot. Um, But uh, if it's you know snowy or and they make
1: clear uh, covers as well for it that you can look through, but they're they're never the best. When you're when you're used to looking through clear glass and you have that in front of it, it's uh, uh, it's not
0: something I've uh, really got accustomed to. Totally. But whatever whatever scope cover you have, make sure it seals really well because the biggest problem that most scope. Covers up. said letting any if any amount of moisture in, then that moisture with the temperature change between the cold gun and the warmer air or vice versa, um, you're going it's going to create uh, it's going to fog up. It's going to put moisture on the lens, and 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 that's going to be a problem once you go to shoot. And that's a good point.
1: That's a good point. Actually, the last uh, uh, Volks range, I have an annual precision rifle competition, and I think it was uh, two years ago, and it was just. Uh, there 's a number of optics out there with um, uh, we 're having problems due to the moisture and the pore seal and uh, uh, but def- definitely a good point for anyone listening to this that uh, wants to throw something on there uh, prevention I say number worth a, worth a pound of cure uh, carrying along a uh, a little cleaning kit with you, so something you 're going to have out in the in the truck or in your uh, uh, wall tent that you can when you come back to camp. Uh, would include now, I'll bring a can of WD-40 with me. Uh, if I want to give something a quick spray just to get uh, the moisture off of it because I don't want it rusting. Um, if uh, when I'm out in the field, the only time I'm really cleaning a firearm is if there's been an environmental uh, impact on yeah. it. Here. Yeah, like we um, talked about, yeah. And so, I mean, typically for most of the hunting firearms, you're you're not doing a lot of shooting out of it, right? Um, it's not something that...
0: Uh, so it's different than if you're at the range. That's something big we'll jump over to, like, what you do after the range for maintenance. Sure. That's like, but, but we'll just wrap up on the, on the couple of... So so for... So what would you... So there's so in your cleaning kit for your, like... There's a difference between, like, for, for me, like, if I'm going to the backcountry and I'm doing a backpack hunt... I'm not bringing much in the way of gun care with me up in the mountains. I, right. my, I'm all about prevention. I'm going to put scope caps on it, or my, my I use those bikini rubber mm-hmm. bikini straps that are that are keep it super sealed. They don't come off probably for the whole hunt, right. unless I happen to be looking at a sheep, which doesn't really happen all that often when I'm sheep hunting. Right. So, so I, uh, and then I've got you know basically I've got a you know if I'm if I'm sh- sheep You know, if I'm you know mountain hunting and backpacking, like I've probably got a clip in the gun. I have no bullet in the chamber, and that whole gun is not going to. It's not going. I'm not going to open the breach the entire trip until I unload it when I'm you know out of the woods and back down to the truck or something like that.
1: And any extra equipment that you have with you is. what do they say? Ounces are pounds, pounds are pain. Oh goodness, right? yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, you 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 look at everything as essential. Like, what do you need? So, you know, realistically, you've also got two guns up there probably because right. you've already got that redundancy because your partner's got a gun, and because you're sheep hunting, you probably don't need either of the guns. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, for those backcountry hunts, like if if you were to have a problem with one firearm, there's usually another firearm there. So if you're you know if you're on a mule deer trip and maybe you, you are successful and get an opportunity to mule deer, well then you just borrow your buddy's firearm in that right. case, right? Right, but. But, yeah, totally prevention. So, I'm not taking anything other than, you know, if it's a matter of wiping the firearm down at the end of the day. And even then, like, I don't even know if, like, I'm, I'm backpacking on a stainless steel gun uh, with the synthetic stock. It, it gets wet all day. Right. And you'll uh, take care of it when you get home. Yeah. Like, I just can't right. do anything for it up there other than, like, I put it in the, the vestibule. Well, I don't even do that. I hang it up on a tree. Right. So, I, a
1: lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess the important point is, Take care of it when you do get home. Yeah, uh, It's uh, really easy for people just to kind of set it and forget it, and throw it in the safe and call it oh, done. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, and I get it. I get it. We all have time constraints. Uh, if you're going to throw it in the safe and just kind of forget about it for a little bit. Uh, now, we talked before about uh, those goldenrods. I love those goldenrod dehumidifiers, and I've got it in all our safes. There's, uh, I think goldenrod's a brand name, and they, they do have other options out there that are... Uh, uh, competitive to them. So but this is like
0: a little heater that goes in the safe to dehumidify it. That's right.
1: Really, really low amperage. Uh, not much draw, but it's, it creates a warmer environment inside your safe than it is outside the safe, and it causes any moisture to be driven out. Yeah. So One, one thing that
0: happens when I come back from, if I'm hunting in the interior, come back to Vancouver, my guns have been frozen for two weeks, basically, right. uh, when I've been hunting. They go into my truck. Uh, and they go into the, they get cased and they, and they usually end up in the back of my pickup truck or my trailer or something like that so they're still at sub-zero temperature basically right. or close to cold and then I bring them into Vancouver into my warm 20 degree house well, when I open up that case those those guns, when they get into the house are like soaking wet not from rain, just from condensation Condensation, right? that's right, just so, a temperature change Yeah. so if that. I took those guns and put them into my safe directly which is kind of what I want to do because I'm, no doubt, I'm trying to get to work I've obviously sure. pushed every minute out of my hand yep. driving back in the middle at night, or like you know, get home at 11 at night. I got to be up and go to work the next day at 7. So, like, the easiest thing for me to do is to grab those guns and put them in the safe so at least they're secured safe. Yeah, yep. but they're, they're covered in moisture. If I put them in my safe and close the door, and then of course, the next day I'm dealing with meat, the next day I'm dealing with gear. Yep. now I've forgotten about my guns. Yep. What are my guns going to look like? Well, I
1: tell you, uh, I've been there, and I've used a golden rod, and they've been fine. So this is not a sales promotion for the golden rod. But well, uh, well, if you didn't have a golden rod in there, what would they look like? Uh, they'd be, look pretty rusty. They'd look yeah. pretty bad, They're and bad. Uh, nothing attracts rust like rust. And uh, a little bit of rust turns into a lot of rust pretty quick. Uh, if you're in that situation and you have the presence of mind to give it a spray down with some sort of a... Uh, uh, penetrating oil or a uh a water displacing oil or, or just something right uh it, it can be more helpful you know there's uh i remember one gunsmith talking about um uh his love for oil and uh, he says you know you're going to do more damage to firearms without putting oil on than you are with accidentally over oiling it yeah and yeah. um everyone's got different thoughts on it but uh, his point is well taken uh let's just spend a little bit of time even if it's sloppy and just get something on there uh those little pieces springs inside that you don't see that are hidden by the stock uh you know your most hunting rifles are are pretty simple machines right they don't have a ton going on inside them uh the more like the semi-autos are going to have a little bit more moving parts inside there um That's the points where you're usually going to find the worst rust in these guns because people wipe a rag over the outside and and good to go. Uh, If you're spraying oils on there, we also have to think about our stock. If it's a wood stock, is that going to absorb the oil and start rotting? If it's a synthetic stock, is what you're spraying on there going to cause that synthetic stock to become gummy or soft or
0: deteriorate? Yeah, I had that happen to one of my Seiko stocks where I was there. Did you? The bore, the bore cleaning liquid, you clean the bore and it's, it's a, it's a um, uh, solvent, right? So it's right. good at breaking down the metal compounds that are attached inside the barrel. And, then, and so that helps clean the the barrel, but as it as those as the, that that liquid works its way back out of the stock, or in, in, sorry, from the barrel onto the stock and into little points, it was actually peeling off the the finish of the Seiko rifle. Uh, interesting. So so it was actually kind of a bummer because it's a beautiful you know nice Seiko rifle with kind of streaks of <laughs> <You're no> kidding <laughs> melted plastic basically. Yeah. So, so many years
1: back when wipeout was first kind of really coming onto the scene, uh, great. gun gun cleaning product, but uh, one of the representatives for Wipeout uh, said, uh, just make sure you don't clean your firearms on your uh, dining room table. And I said, well, I I don't usually do that, but it's interesting that you bring this up. I'm sure there's a reason why, right? He says, oh, we're just dealing with somebody right now. His wife's quite upset with them. Of course, yeah. I guess it took away the finish on the on the table, so that's something to keep in mind. With well, they
0: are, the, and it's also it's keep in mind with, with well, we haven't quite got there. We should get there um, as far as like the chemicals that we would use to clean a barrel after our day at the range. But sure. one of the safety concerns, of course, is that these are you know these are very powerful chemicals that can have an impact to your skin and to the surfaces and all those kind of things. So, right? Yeah. yeah. So well, all just, the best ones are super yeah. powerful, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so come on, So let's just finish up with what we would take with us. So. You know, I'm worried about just going back to like that gun care in the, uh, while on a hunting trip. So managing for my optics, keeping the, the, the whole rifle sealed up as much as I can. Uh, and then the, in the truck kit like something I would either have a camp or a truck kit if I'm if I'm hunting from my you know where I've got the ability to have an extra bit of gear you suggested having a, a rod with you and a yeah. WD-40 yeah um, a rag like yeah a, something some, wipe it down just that's about the extent I mean if you I, mean, I guess you could throw a snake a boar snake in there boar snakes are
1: good you know they're good for real quick field expedient trying to get stuff out of the boar they're, they're not when I say stuff I should mean like moisture or uh, they you're not going to use a boar snake to get rid of obstructions and uh, you know some people uh, love them some people hate them because they've had experiences where they've broken and they couldn't get them out of the, uh, the bore afterwards without
0: some uh, uh, extra help so it there's not too much you can do though. Like once you're in the field, like it, like I mean, your other advice was like just don't take apart your rifle in the field. Like, right. Minimal. There's, there's springs and screws and stuff that you're going to lose if you try and break it down. So so I've
1: been there and I've yeah. done it. I've <laughs> totally taken firearms apart out in the field just because I know I can. And you do what they call the gunsmith prayer, where you're uh, on all on your knees and your hands on the ground, and you're essentially looking for for parts. So, so out, yeah. I've been there and, uh, and I've I've spent uh, many years dealing with taking these things apart i would highly recommend just leave the thing alone if it's got an obstruction clear the obstruction if it's
0: uh wet spray it down dry it off as okay. best as you can perfect okay so so with that i think that i mean that makes sense to me that's kind of consistent with how i've approached it. i mean, i haven't done mm-hmm. too much other than trying to keep it dry the other thing is that the the other thing i wonder about and i worry about a little bit is i'm often hunting from a wall tent and so it'll be minus five outside and then i'll come back to the wall tent and larry or jeff's been around for a long time the wall tent is like 35 degrees like it's super hot right um are you worried about the temperature change in the firearm going from minus five to 20 plus degrees in a wall tent or a cabin say um what are the implications of that but You know, uh, obviously,
1: you, you touched on it before, uh, hot to cold, cold to hot, you get condensation, causes uh, uh, moisture, and you've got an issue. So uh, in the wall tent, if you're able to get the thing dried out right away, great. Um, I, it's not something that's been a huge concern for me, really. Uh, sometimes it stays inside the vehicle. Sometimes it comes inside my tent or inside my uh, uh, camper. Um, you also have the condensation from your own breath, too, when you're in there, which is you wake up in the morning and you're touching the uh, uh, the tent and it's all dewy on the inside. Well, that's your own um, uh, breath, essentially. Yeah, and, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's going to be all over your firearm, too. So I'd, in, unless you need it right now, right beside you for some form of predator control, uh, leaving inside the vehicle is
0: uh, uh, it's not an issue. yeah. The, what i what because what i'm more worried about is that temperature change for this for the optics because the optics what 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 the real failure of most optics is the 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 rings that seal the scope mm. um from uh the, the glass and the scope itself from the moisture outside mm. um so if that if those seals uh, are um, get hot and cold hot and cold the rubber right so they expand and contract. And, and over time they'll eventually get harder and they'll and they can't expand and contract as well so they'll eventually either let moisture in or release the gases inside of the, the scope that help create those crisp images and uh and then, and so your optic quality will either reduce or you'll get moisture inside and this actually happened to me this year where i went to shoot nelt this year and i Looked through my scope and I couldn't see anything. Really? Was, uh, <laughs> the really? Moisture had gone into the scope and uh, and I couldn't. Are you allowed to say what kind of scope it was? It's a Bushnell Elite 4200. Okay. Uh, it's actually the second time I've sent it back and Is they've it? replaced it twice now. So it's, so they're good about replacing it. That's good. It's good about replacing it. And I actually, and I, when I was at the gun store, I was actually looking at a few other scopes that, well, I was looking at a, a Leopold scope. Yeah. I was going to just sell this. The, the the replacement one and then buy a Leopold and I like look through the two and I'm like man this Elite is so much better and like the the, the image quality and the brightness was better so I sort of st- I stuck with it for another round here and I I might be kicking myself in ten years when it fails again but you know. yeah. well uh, I haven't personally
1: experienced that on any of my hunting rifles uh, where it's failed like that yeah. uh, I've always been a, a proponent of uh, your scope should be. The same investment, essentially, is what your firearm is, and sometimes more. Uh, I want that scope to work. I want, if I'm dialing on it, I want it to be consistent. Um, mind you, I've been on some competitions. And I've seen people with some high-level, top-end optics that have had issues that you're, you're mentioning here. So it's, it's not that uh, uh, the more you spend on an optic, you're going to be uh, impervious to that but uh, i can I can say that i 've been fortunate enough that I have an experience that so uh, honestly the the thought of coming hot and cold that that 's something that hasn 't gone through my head for the optics. Uh, mind you, you will get condensation on the uh, uh, on the front of it yeah. as, as well of course, um, yeah. so um, uh, more often than not I, I bring it in so i 'm either going to be uh, in a tent or in a camper uh, i 've got a um, uh converted utility trailer essentially and yeah, a home base yeah yeah as, as a home base um and it's uh it's got enough heat inside there in separate area that I can uh, I I bring it in with me but um uh, uh but that is a good point. It's not it's not something I've really uh, uh experienced or uh uh put too much thought in but
0: uh yeah well I mean it's I I spent a lot of time in wall tent, so maybe that's why it's more of an issue for us and um the other thing I do is like where 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 it's practical like I I, well, probably to keep my shit together. Just like I, to, like I like to leave my, at the end of a hunt, I leave, like put my hunting kit, my rifle, my binoculars, everything in my truck, and then lock my truck. So it's like right, I know where yeah. everything is. I'm not right. like kind of have my act together, but it's also good, particularly for my binoculars and my, and my scope, just to like not see that temperature variation. Because the other thing you'll see at the other the flip side is if you take your warm scope and your warm binoculars, throw them on your chest, leave camp for the day. Yeah. they're going to instantly. Yeah. Uh, fog up because yeah. you're going from warm yeah, optics to cold so the the more you can keep them maintained at that one temperature the less challenge you're going to have starting out your day eventually everything stabilizes when you're out there Like yeah. you'll find yourself wiping your optics a bunch early in the morning but once you get out hunting after an hour or so temperatures stabilize and you, and you don't have to worry about the condensation as much but um, but that's something I, that I do that I just uh, I'm conscious of But the other thing I like about uh, you know, the the vehicle does act as a safe place to store your stuff yeah. for the most part. I mean, as long as you're with it. I mean, when I say this, I mean, the, the the vehicle is parked, you know, 10 feet from my tent. Right. And we're hanging out in the tent. So it's not like I'm parking a truck in the parking lot and going into a hotel sure, for the night. Just sure. to be clear about my sure. concept of, of managing for, you know, keeping the firearm safe and yeah. stored. Um uh, but it's it 's a way of just it the the firearm is locked in the truck, and I think that 's an appropriate way to store it because you put it in the wall tent now you 've got four or five six guys with guns hanging everywhere, and like, everybody 's no doubt yep. it has unloaded firearms but there's now there's just six firearms hanging around it's just yeah you're, you're introducing more variables for sure yeah introduce yeah. more variables and every you know and for the most part everybody's pretty good and every once in a while you're like get surprised by someone's having an off day and they do something dumb and then you know you never know yeah right yeah so um okay so we started to talk about the hunt let's talk about what you would do if you're com- well if you're coming back from a hunt i think we kind of covered that like uh storing it dry wiping it down oiling it is, but if you've actually shot the rifle or particularly shot it lots like at at, at a range, what are some of the things you would do to maintain that rifle before putting it in the safe after, say, putting 10 to 20 rounds through it? So this is something that uh, any of your listeners here will,
1: uh, if they've got experience in cleaning their firearms, they're going to have some very polarizing opinions. (laughs) In fact, uh, even the major firearms and barrel manufacturers out there have a difficult time coming to to a consensus on what's the proper way to clean a firearm. So Many years back, I, uh, I reached out to a number of the major barrel manufacturers, because uh, I was reading one manufacturer lap their barrels, another manufacturer says, don't do it, it's a waste of time. Uh, one manufacturer says there's a break-in period, and they had a very detailed break-in period of you shoot, you clean, you shoot, you clean. Another one says, if you're doing that, you're going to wear your firearm out faster. Um, what what I came down to is most people tend to develop their own cleaning regime that covers some major uh, points. Number one, it's going to be free of moisture and have some some form of a oil coating over all the metallic parts. Um, So, taking that firearm down to as far as you're comfortable to take it down, uh, basic field strip, YouTube's great for that. Um, They've got lots of uh, publications out there, manufacturers will recommend how to take it apart. Take it apart, give it a wipe down, get debris off of there. Uh, The bore, the bolt, the inside of the action where the, uh, uh, the shooting takes place, the explosion takes place, there's going to be carbon buildup. Uh, you're going to want to use a proper nitro solvent to break down that carbon. Um, there's uh, carb, carb killer by slip 2000 or uh, carb out or whatever you want to use. You want to clean it out, get rid of the uh, copper fouling uh, from the breech end to the muzzle end. At least that's one thing that most people will uh, will kind of settle
0: on, if at all possible, with your rifle from the breech end to the muzzle end. So it means you take the bolt out, right. and then you can run the rod from the bolt end of it, the breech end, right. down and then pushing the debris out the barrel so it pushes out the muzzle end. Right, So, uh, and,
1: and that's a funny point too. When, but when you're pushing it out from the uh, the breech end, uh, using a proper bore guide is an important piece of equipment they don't cost much you put it in and it's uh allows your cleaning rod to stay centered with your bore as it goes out okay that makes sense and the the worry there is if you don't use that and every time you put it in it it enters into the chamber and then it starts entering into the throat and you start banging up and dinging on the inside of the bore and you get throat erosion uh which can affect accuracy um using a proper bore guide great so what do you use? Some people will use a, uh, a a rod, and they'll put a brush on the end. And they'll put the brush all the way through, whether that's a nylon brush or yeah. a, um, a bronze brush, um, brass brush, whatever. Um, and they'll push it all the way out if you're using a brush, and then bring it all the way back. And you want to have it go all the way out. Because you don't want those bristles to start uh, bending and kicking up on themselves. If you're kind of jogging it back and forth up the barrel, yeah. you'll wear the brush out really quick. Uh, recently, I read one barrel manufacturer says, uh-uh, if you're uh, using a brush when it goes all the way out, when it comes back, it's all impacting on the crown, and it's going to affect accuracy.
0: Yeah, that's The crown is the the muzzle end. It's that 's that sharp edge. Uh, at the very muzzle end where the barrel where the right. end, the barrel goes out. Right, right. For, for the
1: listeners. Yeah. So there's going to be a bit of a recess if you're looking from the uh, muzzle end of the unloaded firearm where it's completely concentric with the bore and it's uh, uh, it's designed so that every part of your bullet or projectile will leave at the same time. And it's not hanging up on one side while gas is escaping from
0: the other side and possibly ruining your accuracy. Yeah. I think it's one of the things you can, like the one thing you can do to like... Ask a but like, can you re crown this, and it'll probably improve your accuracy of the gun. Because at some point, most crowns get dinged or banged up. Or- yeah, if it's really
1: been a uh, heavy use uh, work gun and it's been uh, really put through the uh, it's the works. Y- yeah, you don't want to. Uh, you want to make sure that crown is um, uh, concentric. And uh, uh, that said, the amount of uh, deflection that you get on a projectile it can be hit or miss too. We've I've seen people take hacksaws to barrels. I've tried testing, just cutting cutting down at different lengths, and surprising, just a hacksaw at the end of the barrel, uh, at how accurate it still is. With all this, uh, it's always been ingrained in me. Hey, if you nick that crown, it's dead, and all your yeah, accuracy yeah, so, is well, gone. That's
0: what I've heard too. Right? right? Yeah. So I mean, this is gunsmiths to
1: tell you, so they get lots of bits. <laughs> yeah, maybe there you go. But um, so um, I think it was. John Krieger from Krieger Barrels he says don't use brushes at all and in fact um if you're running a patch down the bore, whereas a lot of people say it goes one way, it goes the same direction that your projectile goes, goes yeah, to the breech yeah. end, goes out the bore, you take the patch off, you pull the rod back, you put a clean patch on, because they say you don't want to be taking that debris and scrubbing it all up and down on the inside of the bore. Uh, well, he does the exact opposite, and he puts a muzzle up against the wall, and so that when he pushes a patch down, he does, oh, okay. it, then it, and then he, it, yeah. it yeah. stops, and then he pulls it on back, and because he says uh, you can do damage to that crown by having the uh, the jag or the yeah. uh, the, the rod uh, where the jag screws onto the rod, dinging into the crown. So everyone's got a little bit different take on um, uh, what to do competitive pistols or sorry competitive uh long-range precision rifle shooters uh i remember speaking to one a uh, very good shooter and uh, i said what's your cleaning regime and he says what's that i said i thought what do you mean like regime and he said, no cleaning <laughs> he, yeah. he, he was saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek and uh, because he says well if i see a drop in my accuracy I'll get in there, I'll clean it, and then I'll fire some fouling rounds afterwards. Yeah. Otherwise, I
0: don't touch it unless it's been subjected to the elements. Okay, so I'm going to come back to fouling rounds. So you see a couple things here. So, so, just, so there's a couple things that I, what I've been told to do after a round of shooting is I um, take some solvent, take a, um, a patch, dip it in solvent, run it through with your with your rod so that it spreads the solvent down the barrel, and then maybe hang out for a bit, let the solvent do its work. And either run a uh, brush down, so it kind of picks up some of that debris and pushes sure. and de yeah yep. takes, helps pull the the brass or copper I should say off of the inside of the barrel yeah. and then run it down a couple times and then take a clean. Uh, piece of cloth and run it through to sort of pick up and take all that stuff and push it out the end
1: and when you say piece of cloth like cotton or proper uh you can buy uh pull a patch and cut your own pieces off or you can buy patches uh but you don't want to be using something that's going to be leaving a bunch of lint and debris on the inside yeah fair enough yeah so don't take your bed sheets and cut them up Hey, I've been known to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, no, just make sure that they hold on to the, sure.
1: the fibers, right? Preferably something
0: yeah. that's somewhat limp. You don't want to be using your flannel so much, perhaps. Or, yeah, uh, so my dad taught me to just keep pushing passes through, like put a little more, more uh, uh, board cleaner on it, push it through. And then if it, key, it was, keep pushing it through until it comes up clean. So you'll notice the first couple, it'll be like black. Right. Like bright black. And then yeah. as you push a couple more through, it kind of gets clearer and clearer. And then eventually yeah. I'm not patient enough to ever see what it looks like. Right, but right. I figure if I do three passes, I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the last one, I, I usually have like an oil. Do you put an oil on there and pass it through? Yeah. So uh, nitro solvent and then your oil. Uh,
1: now your oil is going to create a bit of a um, skim on the inside. It's going to... Uh, Uh, it can increase the pressures as you uh, chamber around, it can increase the pressures after you shoot, um, which is where the fouling round comes in and uh, if you've got your firearm on target and it's hitting where you want it to hit um, and you've cleaned it at the range um, try shooting it again and see if those rounds land
0: exactly where they were before. Yeah, so this just happened to me so I was out at the range and I'm shooting the 708. That that it's the one gun. Uh, it's been a bit of a tricky gun because because it, it, all guns shoot ammunition a little bit differently, right. and, and they'll like a certain ammunition more. And it's taken me a while to, for this rifle to really like a particular ammo. And I finally, after like fighting with this gun for a couple of years, I finally got an ammunition that I can buy off the shelf that it shoots, it shoots well. Kay. So. And I was, and I had this like real breakthrough last season of like confidence with this rifle. And then I went out in the range for the first time this year, and I settled in. I got my I got my uh, lead sled out, so I've, and I'm settling in. And I'm feeling really calm and confident, and and I take my first shot, and it's like eight inches high and a couple inches to the right. I'm like. Oh, man. You're like, what happened? What happened? Exactly. I'm like, man, damn it. I mean, and so then I'm like, God, here I am chasing paper, like chasing bullet holes around the paper again, which is what I feel like I'm always <laughs> And then I'm like, and, and then I took another shot, and it's like two and a half inches high at 100 yards. And then I took another shot, and it broke the, it broke the same circle as that. So all of a sudden, I'm like, ah. And then Rob, my hunting partner yeah. and friend, he's like, he said, yeah, always that first one. You know, like if you just cleaned it, it's going to be full of oil, and it's gonna, it's not going to shoot where the gun's going to shoot. So you should... So, it's something to remember. Like, if you're going to go hunting, like, like if you clean your guns and you take a clean gun out of, out of the safe and you go hunting, then that first shot is likely to be not necessarily as accurate as where the gun is shooting. So, there's people
1: that will talk about a cold bore shot, right? You're taking your cold bore shot and it's going to impact at a different place than your follow up rounds. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that it is a cold bore shot as much as it is a clean bore shot. And those fouling rounds I've found to be a, um, an important piece to that confidence. So when I'm shooting, whether it be um, for fun or competitive or hunting, that confidence is huge. I want to know that if I'm doing my part right, the gun's going to do what it should be doing. Um, having those uh, fouling shots helps with that confidence. Uh Taking that firearm apart, cleaning it, getting that sort of intimate knowledge of, like, what's happening in this gun... Uh, as much as some people hate cleaning their firearms, it builds that confidence because you realize when you're pulling that trigger, if it feels a little gritty, I know why it feels that way. Or if you're pulling that bolt open and it didn't pull open exactly as you thought you, uh, it should, you understand the working mechanisms inside it. Um, the more you understand that firearm, the, uh, the greater level of intimacy you have with it and the greater level of confidence you'll have. And that translates to your target's uh, that translates on your
0: hunt yeah yeah for sure so i was just thinking about this and i never uh, usually i never allow myself the time but probably a reasonable thing to do would be to after you're done shooting for the day at the range is do your cleaning at the range and then you have the opportunity to do one um fouling shot or two fouling shots before you store your gun so you're cause, yeah because that's not something i normally do i don't allow myself that time but I think I should probably be building in that time at the end of the... And it gets it out of the way, too. And when you come
1: home, bang, it's in the safe. The safe's got some sort of a dehumidifier in there. Great. Uh,
0: that assists. Yep. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I'm going to step up my game. That's what I'm going to do from now on. It's like <laughs> classic. I, I do these like shooting workshops every few months, and, and I've got like eight or ten firearms that we use for these things so yeah. like, at the end of the workshop I'm so gassed I'm just like hey just like case all the guns yes. I'm like go home and then I'm um, then there's like this like pile of guns that I have to like deal with when I get home I'm like oh I should have like should have just taken an extra half an hour and dealt with them all on the range. See, that's where you build a cleaning module into that day, and the well, students we've, we've get a chance about to it learn. For, yeah, we talked about it for years, <laughs> but it just, you know, people once they're on the guns and shoot, and that's what they want to be doing.
1: And, you know, we did that before, and I specifically built in cleaning modules on our lessons, and we don't do them anymore. <laughs> it's, uh, they, they come back, they get cleaned here, but uh, yeah. uh, the idea was the students get a good chance to clean it and learn how it works, and we get
0: clean guns. So they there. develop just as bad habits as we all exactly. have. Like, so exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't happen, right? On yeah. um, so we're, we're up against about an hour here. So they, there was a couple other thoughts that I, I, I wanted to just chat with you about because with, with respect to gun safety, because this is, this is your world, and and I and I sometimes worry about like my own because I, I grew up with firearms in my life, and they were just so like you know, bah, I mean, I've always hunted and and uh, and there's always been guns around, so I have a very high comfort level with firearms. And I don't know if mm-hmm. that's um, but I sometimes worry that my own personal gun safety practices are maybe out of line with what would be how we would like to teach people and mentor people and send them on their ways. Like mm-hmm. not being a Canadian firearms safety instructor, and you know not having been. You know i i just go with what what i know and uh from my professional background in firearms and my hunting background and what i think is common sense but maybe i'll walk you through how i handle my firearms and maybe you could kind of provide some feedback on my sure, approach sure. Uh, from a from a firearms safety um officer perspective yeah. or whatever whatever you can. officer yeah Sounds hey, hey, good. i like that there you go <laughs> something like that uh, <laughs> all right so so in the field, with respect to firearm safety, I I never have a loaded firearm when I'm hunting with a partner. So if I'm if I'm if I'm elk hunting, which I will often hunt with a partner, uh, at least yeah, like because uh, typically you're calling elk, and one one person's a caller, the other person's a shooter. Uh, that's, a, that's the it's the ideal. Um, and so when i 'm walking in the woods i 'll never have a fire a loaded firearm with a partner, so by loaded you mean round chambered or do you or magazine
1: in the firearm okay
0: magazine in the firearm bolt action closed, no no okay. bullet in the chamber okay so so it 's not ready it 's not ready to shoot so if, if if there was if an elk presented itself you 'd have to load and shoot if a grizzly bear presented itself, you'd have to load right, <laughs> and, right, right. and get ready um, so for me, the, the the threshold there is just that you've got two people. You're walking through the woods together. You're bending up and underneath logs. You're crawling on the ground. You're up and over stuff. You know, but you know, we're always maintaining safe muzzle direction. We're always, you know, mm-hmm. my, my feeling is that like anybody I hunt with will never point their gun at me. Right. And if they do, they'll never hunt with me again. That's right. It's just that's my rule. Yep. With all my friends. Um, and hunting partners and, and and for the most part you can you should be able to do that while you're hunting it, it gets tricky on backpack hunts when you have your firearm actually attached to your backpack because mm-hmm. you have less control of how to articulate the barrel right. so i have some forgiveness around like taking your backpack on and off your back and of course if it's on if it's if your gun is on your backpack it's not loaded mm. because it's not in use yet, or right. I, can, I can trust it. Not, not under your control. Yes, yeah, so if it's, so and that's something often happens when you're sheep hunting or alpine mule deer hunting or something. But so that's my first stance, that's my first perspective on. Do you know have I any take on that? Well, sure, yeah. So I. Number one,
1: the uh, muzzle control, like you can violate every other safety principle and practice. Your finger can be on the trigger. You can, the gun can be loaded. Uh, You trip, you fall, it goes bang. But at the very least, if you adhere to the muzzle control and it's not pointed at anything, you do not have the lawful authority to destroy, Uh, whether that's... um, um, Living, or it's a uh, target, yeah, or something. target, or whatever it might be. Uh, your ears will be ringing. People will be screaming at you, but at least nobody's hurt, right? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so muscle control is huge, and I and I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, n- you don't point guns. I don't hunt with people that have ever uh, swept their firearms uh, at me or close to me. It's, uh, it's something that uh, I, I just don't have any patience for. Yeah. Uh, mind you, having the firearm loaded while I'm hunting, very situation-dependent. So crawling around, definitely. It unloaded. Um, if... Uh, n- uh, but there will be times when I will have a round chamber, I will have the firearm on safety, it will be in my hands, and I'll be controlling the muscle direction. I mean, um, um, jump hunting ducks is uh, is a prime example, right? Oh, of course, and, yeah. Um, Just, sure. Can you imagine trying to, <laughs> right, exactly. try to load a firearm exactly. the time, yeah. Um, and from um, the professional standpoint, people who are carrying a firearm uh, from a pro- for professional use uh, it doesn't make any sense to not have a round chambered. If you carry that firearm, you have to trust in the safety mechanisms and you have to adhere to the... Uh, um, uh, Keep, yeah, keep your finger off the trigger and point it in the safe direction. Right. If you intend to use it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, um, I, like in the States, doing uh, uh, courses down there, uh, we've got CCW, concealed carry weapon, and uh, some people say, oh, I'd never have a round in the chamber, but the vast majority say, yeah, no, I just, uh, that, we keep one chambered, and uh, that that's how you use it. Your police officer is not going to walk around with uh, a, a firearm without a round in the chamber, and. Uh, Uh, but they're going to have it holstered they're going
0: to adhere to the the safety principles and yeah so 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 my test for hunting with the firearm loaded so like white tail hunting like it's, like I was alluding to you before. Like you know, there 's not a lot of time if 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 you're still hunting white tail, which is what I right. typically do. Like I have to wander around, and I and I if I can get the drop on them. I, and when I say right. the drop, I like I get to see them before they see me, or right. at least have reacted to me. Right. And if it's a buck, and it's there's an ethical shot there, you know that you've only got a couple seconds, right? right? So so you'll have a round chamber chambered round for chamber for it. But the difference too is I'm hunting, always hunting alone. Uh, white tail country is pretty benign country for the most part it's like it's like you know relatively easy walking right. um so it's pretty easy going and there's the reality that you know you need to get a shot off right away right. um but mule deer hunting where i'm typically climbing climbing up a large hill for mm-hmm. a couple hours at the beginning of the day and then i'm going to spend most of the day probably just looking right at, at alpine and, and looking at distance and i might see a mule deer you know 800 meters away, right. and then I have the time to like, okay, now I'm going to stalk after that thing. Okay, at some point I'll load my rifle when I'm getting close, I'll get in close on it, but I'm usually crawling up and over cliffs, like rocky, unstable terrain, right. and so on. So, like, um, to me, I don't need to have a loaded firearm until I'm progressing towards it. Um,
1: no, and, and I agree, very situation dependent, and yeah. based on the train that you're going to be uh, traveling on. And as much as we talk about uh, pointing it in a safe direction, you're on uneven terrain, you slip and you fall, uh, sometimes that safe direction starts to become out of your control. So I, I, I don't have any hard and fast rules of when I have it uh, chambered and when I don't, but it, it is very situation-dependent.
0: Um, uh, yeah. Totally. So the other, the other time that I'll, I'll have a loaded firearm is... Um, yeah, you know, hunting independently or even hunting with my partner and then there's an elk coming in or a moose is coming in. Of course, you you need to, to load up because that's what you're doing. That's right. And now you're being very present about what's going to happen with the, with you know, you're absolutely maintaining safe muscle direction and trigger control, all the things that are, uh, or keeping your finger off the trigger, I should say. Um and then the other time, you know, and it's, it's a bit more of a controversial one. It's just when you're in bear country and you know that there's bears around, there's sign everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll load my firearm as a, one of the precautions I'll take to manage the safety and the risks around being in bear country, along right. with having full access to my bear spray, mm-hmm. along with maintaining good view corridors of where I'm walking and all the other bear right. things I would take in bear ca- precautions. So, so that's, that's for me when I have a loaded firearm. The, 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 probably the important one that. I should mention is when you unload your firearm and that's something that I see a lot of guys really do a a shitty job on because like I unload my firearm as I'm like as soon as I can see the truck at 500 meters away Mm. I unload the truck Mm. because like the closer I get to the truck yeah. The better the chance I'm going to be. There's, not, there's, there's way more targets. My truck being one of them. Sure. <laughs> sure. And my buddy who's sitting in the truck or coming from another direction towards the truck. So yeah. the sooner you unload their firearm, like the hunt's over if you can see the truck most likely. Mm. So you know, no need to be like nothing bugs me more than when I'm sitting in the truck and my buddy standing by by the passenger door unloading his firearm, like you know, ten feet from me. Sure. And, i go, You know, I've seen guns go off three times in that situation. You have, so, yeah. So that I've seen, I've seen three misfires, unloading and loading firearms adjacent to the truck. So when you say misfires, you mean like a negli- Sorry, negligent not negligent, discharge. negligent discharge? Well, actually, like uh, two of them. Well, well, I've seen it three times. So I don't know the whole story because you just see gun right. kind of goes off, bang, yeah. and uh, they're like everybody's shot. One, I, I'm pretty sure it, it, was, uh, it was a Parker Hale that had a history of doing this. When you unload it, it goes off. And uh, another one was the Remington had a has a, something wrong with the trigger on one of the Remington models, which you probably know all this, but I don't. Sure, know. sure. Um, and I, and I, I don't know what the what the, but again, yeah, it was on, I think it, I believe it was loading. And it went off right away. And then, anyway, that third one, I'm pretty sure the person had their finger on the trigger when they were unloading the firearm. So uh, that,
1: that's actually interesting because it touches on two points that you brought up. One is you're raised around firearms. You've got a fair comfort level. Uh, so that was one point that you mentioned. The other point is uh, these firearms aren't functioning properly. So uh, on the first one, before I forget... You know, some of the worst firearms handling I've seen are from people who should know better. And it's it's because they become complacent in it. Yeah. And they've been around guns their entire life, and they're not going to listen to anyone tell them what what they have to do because they know, right? Um, I guess there's some ego involved. Uh, For any of the listeners out here, uh, we all know you become complacent. That's when accidents happen. Yeah. Uh, Just be diligent. Yeah. Um, but on the other side with the failures in the firearms that uh, either accidental or negligent, negligent discharges occurred uh, ties into cleaning because after you finish cleaning the firearm, one thing I haven't brought up and that we didn't talk about yet, the function test. Oh, right on, yeah. We want to function test this firearm and see, did we put it back together properly? Yeah, absolutely. Did we do anything wrong when we're cleaning it? And so if we function test it and, uh, I mean, just very simple, hey, does the action operate as it should? Is it unhindered? Uh, If I put the safety on, unloaded, and I pull the trigger did it go click, right? If I now take the safety off with my finger off the trigger, did it go click, right? Um, Check out online YouTube manufacturers' recommendations for a function test. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, just making sure that it works, though, right? And that just builds into the confidence, and that confidence uh, builds better safety handling practices and better shots. I mean, I've never seen any activity quite as readily apparent as firearms uh, for the confidence level, being able to actually hit your target. Yeah. Um, and the only way to get that confidence level is by going out and doing it and building and, and knowing you can do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a couple of interesting points. I did
0: tangent there a little bit, but I think I... But the uh, function test is an important one. Just like knowing that it should be operating the way it should, yeah. like after you particularly have to take it, take it apart, sure. after you clean it. Give it a give dry fire at once, see if it's operating correctly. It right. makes a ton of sense.
1: So. so, some of these organizations we do work for will go and will service their firearms on a regular basis. They'll have several hundred firearms, and then we've got to go through them, and we they all get ripped apart completely. They go through; uh, there's a basic clean we'll go over with them because uh, sometimes dirty firearms can induce issues, and we make sure it's all at factory specs and standards. If it's not, we bring it back before they get put back away and locked up each and every firearm goes through a rigorous function test yeah. every single one and it just becomes second nature so i'm uh,
0: i almost forgot to mention that i'm glad we got into it yeah so so yeah so so for me like i mean that's been a shocker over the years of seeing that but it does happen i mean in that and it mm. just happens when you're loading and unloading Always in a safe misfire, direction, though. Yeah, always in a safe direction. It has never been a consequence. It's just been scary. Sure, and, and then some angry glances. Yeah. So, and, well, exactly. So, my point is, is like if, if there's a higher chance of having a misfire while loading or unloading your firearm, please do it in, a, in the safest pla- yeah, place possible, yeah, it which makes is further sense. away from camp, further away from the truck, so there's less likelihood of that happening. Mm. So you have less, less targets nearby, yeah. right? So that's one thought. Um, What's the other one? I was just thinking about. Um, oh shoot if you run into somebody in the woods and this is that oddly like i seldom run into people in the woods where I right hunt, and but recently in the, in the last few years there seems to be more people out in the woods or at least where i like to hunt more <laughs> like, hunting pressure more hunting pressure they're following you well i think there must be yeah they on my instagram feed yeah, you're getting, getting right too now. popular geez yeah hugely <laughs> popular just about two thousand followers on yeah. the instagram there um So, one of the things that I always do if I see somebody else in the woods Mm. is I'll wave at them, like, Mm -hmm. so they know I'm there, because that's the first thing I want them to know I'm there. Right. Right. And then the next thing I do is, as, as, well, I want to talk to them, because I want to be able to say, hey, this is my hunt plan, you know, I'm going to try and do this, and so hopefully, you don't screw me up and you do something else right. and I don't screw you up. And that's, right. the, so we're safe, but we're also able to have a hunt. But the first thing I do is I always unload my firearm and do it very yeah. obviously. Like, look, everybody, I'm unloading my firearm. Like take this cue as I'd like you to do the same. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yes. cause, Cause I don't want you walking up on me. And then, you know, and in the case of this, I, had, I got, I got, I got, I got, uh, I had a gun pointed at me twice in, uh, in about half an hour. I've never had a gun on, on, on the same hunt. So I was hunting yeah. and these dudes were, um, Below me, coming up the hill. So I like stop above them and I'm like, hey, wave at them. Yeah. The, the one guy actually tries to walk around me and carry on the hill. I'm like, no, dude, I'm stopping because I want to talk to you, not so yeah, you can jump and yeah. get above me on this hunt, right? <laughs> so I talked to the young guy and it's his dad who was trying to get around me. And I don't know, his dad's just a bit of an older guy. didn't really want to talk to me, but sure. but I said, no, I think we should talk and figure out what we're doing because my buddy's on the hill as well and I don't want him to get screwed up or I don't want yeah. to be in the safe situation. So I'm, so I'm talking to these guys And the guy's got his, his rifle planted On the, the butt on the ground And, and the muzzle is pointed somewhat you know, Away from me But as he's talking He's moving around And all of a sudden That, that muzzle Comes over underneath my chin What'd you and do? I <laughs> <laughs> I can't say exactly what I did on the, Sure, sure. So, I, so I I just I pushed the muzzle away With yeah. my foot okay. I was like oh, Hey bud yeah. like, That's not cool I don't know if that thing's loaded yeah. I don't give a shit if it is Because you just pointed a gun at me yeah you know yeah so guess who did his firearms training tell me <laughs> not you <laughs>
1: yeah i'd be surprised if it was
0: <laughs> <laughs> no but i know who, he, who did okay. and i won't mention it but um because uh, he was yeah he was low, he was a guy from vancouver and i was like oh that's interesting but not that that makes i mean this is dumb right you, sure you can't you can't cure dumbness and um, anyway, yeah, turns, but, but yeah, no, scary, yeah. scary as hell. So yeah. then, I, so I I go up the hill, and uh, I see another guy coming up the hill, which is odd. Like I've never seen two guys, let alone three guys, on the same hill. but they, but all three of these guys are hunting the same hill, sure. and they're like they're basically holding hands going up the mountain. I, mean, I have no idea what they're thinking, but you know, I would never. <laughs> like, yeah, seems a bit weird to me, but and so I see this guy coming up the hill, so I so I start whistling at him. Right, I'm like. <whistles> and I'm waving two ski poles in the air like yeah. just so he can see me well he gets startled and he lifts his rifle up and looks at me through the oh sky. come on yeah so I lit him up I lit yeah. him up like I was like yeah. Jesus fire yeah. You don't fucking whistle yeah and uh fired him up and then he like turns white and I went over and talked to him for a while but he was just dumb he was just like not a particularly smart guy and uh in, really? you know maybe sometimes people and you'd
1: hope they, they're smart enough not to do that to begin with maybe sometimes tuning them up and uh, explain it to them like that in a very aggressive manner is why they need to really ingrain it in them to never do it again because holy crow the consequence otherwise is pretty catastrophic
0: right you don't want you don't it's want it's incredible though. I mean yeah. just because I mean like maybe in his process he's like oh like clearly that's not a deer because two ski poles waving in the air right. uh but it doesn't matter Because at this point He's got a loaded firearm His fingers on the trigger, And it's pointing at me mm-hmm. So like there's not like there's a the margin for error the pucker factor goes right up and the the margin for error is shrunk right down to just about nothing i mean like it's just and and similarly like the guy with his wave and his i mean i don't i mean you know it's just so that
1: that's basic etiquette i mean we do have hunter safety we do have firearm safety people are supposed to have gone through these things in canada in order to be out there at least challenged it or have a basic knowledge uh but muzzle control i mean that's that's your number one most critical crucial thing out there so we've talked about cleaning we've talked about uh, other other people out there if they're doing things that are offside i mean we're, we're not the uh the gun cops out there but you you got to step up and say if they if somebody's offside yeah and people get quite offended too if you tell them just say whoa
0: whoa 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 hey where's whoa. that pointing right and retrospect like i wish i had done more to educate this guy like i i just reacted yeah and i was kind of like i was i was more actually concerned about him screwing up my hunt then I, at the time, and in retrospect, I'm like, because I'm so fixated on the hunt, right? and, like, and I'm running up this hill trying to get away from this, these maddening crowds of yeah. hunters trying to get my hunt, and, and in retrospect, I'm like, man, I should have like really taken the time, and I, I was going to drop, I, I dropped by their camp on the way out when we left, and I was going to just say, hey guys, like, just so you know, this is the experience that I had, and yeah. it, it, like, to be, have a gun pointed at me twice, Mm -hmm. in 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 an hour and like half an hour like is 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 absurd so Mm -hmm. who you know wherever you you guys got to step up your game and and get more comfortable with firearm safety and and that's this is the offside so um they weren't there when i stopped in but i'm sure i'll see them again i'm sure you will yeah i'm sure Um, you will so the other thought about it just you know when and i kind of hit it there i guess and maybe i don't have to hammer on it but like just when i get back from the hunt like uh, what's a safe way to manage traveling with your firearm um when you get back to your vehicle. Now, obviously, it's going to be unloaded when you get back to your vehicle. Um, How do you store your firearms when driving around from one hunting spot to another?
1: So I keep combination trigger locks, and I throw them on. Uh, That's above and beyond what the minimum legal requirements are. But the reason I do that is because not everybody knows what the minimum legal requirements are. Uh, They're quick and easy to get off. And uh, if, for whatever reason, a conservation officer or a uh, police officer says, oh, hey, hunting in the area, mind if I take a look? And they see the firearm in the back, and they say, hey, you're not supposed to transport a firearm like that. Well... I, I keep a copy of the Plain English Guide to the Firearms Laws, just just uh, to help educate. But you know what's even better? Just go above and beyond what the minimum storage, transport, display laws. Sure. Are yeah. uh, there are very simple ways to to do that and still have ready access to your firearms. Yeah. So that that's what I do personally. Uh, I know a lot of my hunting partners don't. Um, they uh, they'll unloaded it. it's all you need. Right, yeah. guns not loaded. Um, I, I do that for uh, for my peace of mind, the uh, the business that I'm in and uh uh
0: just just how I operate. That makes a lot of sense. So so would you have it trigger locked, like say if you were uh you know, driving from you know your deer camp. Your deer camp. From you, you, you drove out to a hill. You hunted it for the day. You're driving back to camp. Would you, when you throw it back in the truck, would you put the trigger lock on it for the drive back to back to camp?
1: If I'm in an area where I'm driving through that it uh, could possibly be uh, hunted, uh, let's say I go on the side of the road and, and uh, logging road, what yeah, have yeah, you? Yeah, like from logging road back. So. Right. Uh, no.
0: Uh, if I'm going to be driving from the uh, hunt back home, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when so when it's no longer being used. It's got a trigger lock on it, but right. yeah, one of, one of the things I started doing just to instead of having my my firearm just like laying across the back seat or whatever, I, I just have a a scabbard for for the mm-hmm. firearm, sort of hanging off the back of my seat. So it so it gives uh, somewhere that I can just put instead of like you know fully casing it, like mm. a, you could fully case your rifle, and but the scabbard is just is is a place that I can unload it put it in the scabbard it protects the rifle from yeah. um debris impact all the things that are going happen in the backseat of your truck mm-hmm. it's it's relatively easy though if like if i have if to get the gun in and out as i'm getting in and out to go hunting um it's relatively easy to get at but it's got a place to put it where it's not going to get knocked around i know where it is all the time i got the same I got the same spot that i keep my clip got the same spot that i keep my rifle same spot that my binoculars are yeah. same spot where my day pack See, i is. do the exact same thing everything
1: in their spot yeah. You you go to bed you wake up you know your kit is on you're out you you're got right. everything yeah. with you uh, so just
0: keep it organized so yeah. so my only advice is like you know you want to make sure with with your rifle that you're, you're putting it somewhere that it's not like going to be buried under a bunch of clothes in the back seat or underneath your pack or because you never know where you need to get at it but more importantly if there's any kind of you know if the dog's jumping in and out of the truck and on top of your gun sure. i mean like it's just there's more debris more chance of you know. You know. so and and i like that i remember uh, a good
1: friend of mine hunting partner uh, Johnny the Greek which I always find funny because he's uh, uh, half French but you don't call him <laughs> don't Johnny, you know, John Johnny the, French, the half but, Frenchman no, no but uh, anyways um I remember we going out, and I'm got my uh, my firearm, putting it into a scabbard. And he's like, "What are you doing?" He's so well, you know. It's, I, I like my firearm; I want it to work. He's like, "Oh, I got a working gun." He just throws it in the back of the vehicle. And uh, uh, well, to his credit, his firearms always work well. And I take a different standpoint. I want my firearm to work, so I, I, I tend to take a little bit more care and attention around it. Um, Having it set up inside the scabbard will keep it from being banged up. Maybe I'm a little bit anal about how I, how I care for it, but, um, but I, I like to have everything. I'd like to know where it is uh, because when that moment hits, you want to have everything
0: readily at hand. Yeah. Yeah, see, so the other one I see a lot is guys will have the, the firearm on the pa- – they're driving alone, not the passenger seat, have mm-hmm. it on the passenger seat, point the barrel pointing down to where your feet would be if you're sure. a passenger. A um, couple concerns around that. If you don't have – uh, something over your barrel at the end of your barrel, like that tape we talked mm-hmm. about. There's going to be mud and debris down there, so you're yeah. just sticking your barrel in mud. The other thing is, is that you know gives the appearance to the conservation officer or anybody else that you're road hunting, road hunting right out of the vehicle, right, right out of the vehicle, yeah. which you know that's going to increase their concern. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is a, a, a fine place to place your rifle. Typically, sure. there's usually a like a nice trough there between the yeah. whatever that island is between the seats and yeah. the seat itself. You can kind of rest the rifle in, and it's safe and doesn't get noddled around. And often, my hunting partners will place their rifle there as a, as, as somewhere to put the rifle, um, which is a safe place. Uh, the, uh, the you know the one concern I have is that certainly you want to have that action open to demonstrate that it's not loaded. Um, which is important if someone's, particularly if you're being checked by a conservation officer. On the other hand, if you have the action open, your truck is full of dirt and debris and mm-hmm. stuff flying around, so you know it's probably not the best for maintenance.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I typically have action closed if I'm going to be uh, using it. Uh, if a conservation officer wants to look at the firearm, I'll advise them where it is and allow them to uh, either they can take it out or I'll take it out and show it to them. But, uh yeah. Uh, I've actually not found myself in a position where they've uh, they've cared. I mean, you're, you're put together, you're doing things right. They've I've never uh, I've been never been further drilled down on. I, I have heard
0: people that have been in that situation, but yeah, interesting. Hey, I, I think I, the other part that I like about I mean, the other part about you know a good good firearm etiquette is demonstrating that that firearm is unloaded to your hunting partners without having to you know, hey Travis, is that right. thing loaded? Like so it was just good practice to almost like open up the action to demonstrate that right without even saying it so yep. so as we're coming up to each other my action is going to open up you can see the gun is safe I might close the action again re-shoulder right. it but you just see it it's just communication around like safe gun owners so I don't have to stand there and have a conversation with you for 10 minutes going right I wonder if gun's loaded I don't have to worry about that similarly as you're getting into the vehicle like I, op- I open up the action demonstrate the that it's that it show that it's safe to my or prove that it's safe to my to my uh, you know hunting partner yeah and then I may close the action and put it in the scabbard. Right. So it
1: sounds like we do the identical thing. We don't want to be the people going on talking to the person and okay, now let me see. Yours is unloaded. Okay, now show mine unloaded. I mean, we're all adults here. But uh, that said, we've been raised around firearms. This is something that's sort of second nature to us. It's yeah. very, we're very comfortable with it. Perhaps some of the listeners are just getting into it. And when you're new to something and you don't have the confidence, you can... Possibly make mistakes, so just talking about this, spreading sort of common practices, uh, just like some of your some of your other podcasts you do, you're, you're sharing knowledge, good, good hunting knowledge, and uh, I think it's an important uh, tidbit for uh, for anybody that's that's listening any, any of your listeners to uh, uh, just pick up. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, go, I mean, go through the motions.
0: Right? I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have mentors in my life that. The one time that I pointed a gun in the direction, unloaded firearm in the direction of a hunting partner, like I can still feel that undressing that I got mm-hmm. from that moment, and that mm-hmm. that imprinted on me, sure, and now. You can. I can. Be, I can. I could dance a ballet with a firearm, and I would never point it at anybody. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, just and, and second by, nature. By pointing at
1: somebody as well. I mean, I've, I've jumped on people in the past. This muzzle comes right over to me, and they'll jump up and down and they'll argue. No, no, it wasn't at you. And maybe they might be right. Maybe it was right beside me. But I. You know, I guess somebody technically could do a complete outline of your body with a firearm and not have it pointed at you. It doesn't that, matter. That, That's too close. <laughs> too close. Right? Yeah, 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 totally. And, and uh, you know, I was four years old when I started shooting. I was five years old when I got my first rifle. And... Uh, I was six years old when I had my gun taken away from me for a year, and uh, I got <laughs> it back when I was seven. And it wasn't because I pointed it at anybody, but it was too close. It was yeah. it sort of general direction,
0: and uh, at that, that young age, it, it stuck. Right? Yeah, yeah, for me too. And, I, and so for these guys that I ran into on the hill, like they haven't had that mentorship. Like something that they, they just don't have that person in their hunting community that imprinted on them. Like mm-hmm. even you know they, they they you know weren't paying attention or didn't. T- take it to heart the importance of that during their hunt during their firearm safety course they so it's just that just isn't imprinted, and mm. and so hopefully, if we reach anybody in this, um, maybe you know people will be like, oh, okay, good to know. Yeah, keep
1: that to heart. And uh, maybe some of your listeners here have different ways of cleaning or uh, some good tips that they can share. I don't know. Do you have a comment section? God, no.
0: I'm
1: <laughs> 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 not there yet. But, uh,
0: uh, no, fair uh, enough. Uh, fair I, enough. I, I think the last podcast might have 500 people listen to it, which I was pretty proud of. That's, that's good. good. So yeah, that's we're good. Getting, we're getting there. But hopefully, the audio continues to improve. And, and it's great having an opportunity to sit down with someone as knowledgeable as you and take an hour and a half out of your day to bullshit with me here and uh, oh
1: you know what? i'm learning lots is talking with you as well and yeah. i'm sure we're going to do a couple more of these in the future i uh, can see right away that uh video is might not be
0: uh <laughs> might not be there yet but definitely audio the, the amount well, that we can talk. Fun. i mean we i'd love to come back and talk to you about shooting and uh, there's a number of things we can chat about so doors open right on man well thanks for the day right on okay, okay, thank you. you right on